You're listening to the Gridiron Growl Podcast from ChopTalk.com. Welcome, everyone, to episode number 32 of the Gridiron Growl Podcast. This is none other than your boy, David Soderquist, along with lead man in charge at Chop Talk, Brian Fox Jr., and the man who grades the Gators for us every week, Jake Hitt. And I'm just going to go ahead and cut to the chase right now, guys. Uh, here with you, Brian and Jake. Uh, sad news of the day. The, uh, the you know, just the worst thing that could ever happen, probably, in, in Gator Nation right now. Eric Gilbert decommits from the University of Florida. I, I know me and you, uh, Brian, we were uh, talking after this all happened Sunday night, and uh, it, it quite, you know, it just, it. this even happened on a Sunday night, which about a Sunday night a month ago, Eric Gilbert commits to the University of Florida. Now we're talking about Eric Gilbert decommitting from the University of Florida. Brian, uh, go ahead and uh, elaborate for everybody what your thoughts are. Well, first and foremost, uh, it's really cool to be on this platform here. I'm uh, getting to have a live chat uh, with uh, Lucas's group. Uh, so please feel free to let us know what your thoughts are on these as well. Um, Dave, it's kind of hard to believe it was just a few weeks ago that we were here elated uh, about what we were getting in tight end Eric Gilbert uh, coming from LSU, the top rated tight end in the history of the 24 seven sports rate rankings. Um, yeah, it was elation to, to the uh, utmost. Um, what's happened since uh, who knows? Uh, there's a lot of speculation about grades. Um, that seems to be the thing that makes the most sense. Uh, but that uh, leads me to more questions than answers. And those questions uh, resonate with the, coaching staff rather than uh, the player himself. Jake, let's get your thoughts before we um, get into some of my deeper thoughts here. <laughs> yeah, I probably don't have as strong feelings as Brian does, but I think, you know, this is this is the world of recruiting. You know, you take risks on kids. If it is a grades issue, sometimes things just come up with guys and they change their mind. They are still, you know, they're not 17 like the high school recruits are, but, you know, transfer kids still have things that they go through and they change their minds. And it's just unfortunate that they couldn't hold on to a guy like this. And also unfortunate that losing one guy like this causes such a uproar about the class because that shows where the state of the class is too. Yeah. And uh 24 seven sports had just released an article about these transfers and how Dan Mullen has won the transfer portal this year, getting the number one and number two top ranked kid in the transfer portal. And now you have the number one ranked kid in the transfer portal decommitted from the university of Florida. He did say that he does not know where he wants to go or where he was going to commit. I don't suppose it's going to be Florida because, you know, they were talking about great issues and, uh, uh you know, Dave waters had a podcast earlier and, Talked about, I guess, personal issues as well. Didn't really delve into it. Not in me personally. I really don't care about the personal issues or what the details are and that. It's it's if it's personal issues, then it's it's something you need to take care of. Uh, but otherwise, man, if if you don't have the grades to come into the University of Florida, you're obviously not going to get in. And that's what we're all assuming it is, and that's what it seems like it was. But yeah, it's just a uh, it's it's a bad. It's one of those decommits that really hits you hard because this guy was the number one ranked tight end in all of 24-7 sports in the history of recruiting 
or calculating recruits through nationwide through ever since they just started doing this. So, I mean, that's a big bummer to uh, the University of Florida. It's a big bummer if you're a University of Florida fan. Um, and, and, you know, with this tight end room, especially the loss of Kyle Pitts now. So they're losing a lot of experience in that tight end spot. But obviously you still have Kamori Gamble, Keon Zipper, uh, you know, the two big names in that tight end room. Um, I'm not too upset with it but uh it, it's just it just hurts when you get a generational like player like that that just can't make it into the university or decommits uh who knows where he will go if it's a great issue though i highly doubt he goes to a highly accredited sec school uh i, I don't know what these gpa requirements are across the board but if it is a great issue but he he may even go juco who knows uh but you know Unfortunately, he's not coming to University of Florida, and that's all that, that matters right now. But right now, you're going to have to you know, rely on Keon Zipper and Kamora Gamble in that tight end room. And now, now you're short of, short of tight end you thought you were going to get, so Jaleel Skinner is a must-get now. Uh, you, you, have to, you have to get Jaleel Skinner or some kind of highly ranked tight end in this next class. Uh, you know, obviously, we still have Demarcus Bowman. He's, he's not in question. He's, he's been in practices. He's already on campus. He's already enrolled. Everything is good there. So you don't have to worry about DeMarcus Bowman decommitting, leaving, doing whatever. If you don't keep up with recruiting or anything like that, that's an obvious. But, yeah, man, losing a tight end talent like that, somebody's going to gain a, a good tight end wherever he goes. And, uh, you know, just you got to just hope the best for the kid, hope the best for the family, even though we're all upset. You know, uh, that's that's just how the dice rolls sometimes in the recruiting world, Brian, don't you, you know? Yeah, Dave, I think it's important to let all of our, our listeners know this was not our intent to come on and talk recruiting or Eric Gilbert. We were going to continue our series looking at the different positions. We were actually going to talk about the offensive line, but then this happened last night paired with what we're going to talk about after this. And uh, it just kind of became a rough day. And uh, we decided that, you know what, we'll hold off the offensive line or wide receiver talk until next week. And uh, we'll have a little bit of fun with this. And like I said, doing the live thing is kind of a cool, cool new click thing that we're giving a try. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's important enough that we discuss this and we do this in a timely manner uh, for the people that are listening to us. Uh, one thing I think is that needs to be addressed is we know that Dan Mullen does not like recruiting. He's pretty much said that to us. Okay you would think then that the emphasis would be on the players that will get in or can get in at UF. And we've seen a number of players now that haven't. This dates all the way back to that first cycle with Dewan Black. Dewan still isn't on campus. I know he's coming, but he's still not here. Then even just this last class, you had Javante Gardner and, Trevon and Trevante Rucker, two guys that now ended up elsewhere, two guys that maybe could have come in and made an impact right away. And, uh, and I think that's a problem. You've put so much time and wasted so many resources that now we're sitting back and kind of on our heels. Look at this. We assume that Eric Gilbert is the reason that Terry and Arnold didn't get an NLI from Florida. Right. If that's the case, that's a huge problem. If that was your spot and you said, yeah, and you, this is a five-star kid from Florida. <laughs> Terry and Arnold needs that hat regardless of, the Eric Gilbert situation. And if anybody had dug into the academics, if it's an academic issue, of course, but if somebody had dug into it and saw that this was a potential issue and that it was an obstacle, then it needs to be held accountable to that Gator standard that Dan Mullen is always preaching to us. 
Uh, Brian came out with a fire tonight. <laughs> but you're right, man. Uh, it, you you have to do your research on the recruiting trail. If you know you have these high GPA requirements to get into the University of Florida, you know you got to do your homework on your recruits. And if obviously if you're Dan Mullen and, and you say you don't like recruiting, you need to hire some people that do because uh, if you don't recruit in this, it, it, especially now, and we're going to get into this in a second. Your rivals are going to sneak up on you and steal the people that you wanted and that you offered first. And I know a lot of people say, well, Dan didn't want this guy. Dan didn't want that guy. If they got an offer from the University of Florida, Dan Mullen wanted him. So I, 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 don't, I, I don't like to hear the people say, oh, well, Dan didn't want this guy or that guy or we don't need this guy. No, we need him because we offered him. And, uh, you know, when you don't get those kids, you know, now you're sitting behind your rivals like uh, Florida State right now. And we're going to get into this a little bit. Sam McCall. You had him, what, in December? Sam McCall commits to the University of Florida, right? Torian Gray was his prime recruiter. You fired Torian Gray, a guy that probably had nothing to do with what was going on in defense last year, and everybody knows who the prime culprit was. And uh, everybody knew it was Todd Grantham. And you, you stuck with keeping your best friend. You fired the people you probably shouldn't have fired. And now Sam McCall, since you had fired Torian Gray, decommits from Florida, and now he just committed to Florida State, what, last night? Somewhere around, I don't know, midnight or so. I, I can't even remember. But now you're sitting with a guy that you could have had in your class that was a high five-star ranked athlete. And, and, and you want to get those kids early in your class because other elites like to play with other elites. So, you know, you, you get a lot of recruiting momentum when you get an elite right at the beginning of your recruiting class. And so when we had Sam McCall, and I remember you said we brought on Connor Clark, and he said how great that was of a get to, to get somebody early like that. And it, it is. And now he decommits because you fired the wrong guy. He goes to FSU, and now he's committed to FSU. Now, that doesn't mean that that recruitment cannot stick around. He, he could say he doesn't want to go to the uh, FSU by the end of the year because FSU probably will be FSU again this year. And, uh, you know, some kids will stick with schools no matter what. But, you know... You're, these kids in the state of Florida, especially this kid being from Lakeland, you you had that pipeline. You just you took just about every elite recruit from Lakeland, and now you have Sam McCall right here, and you fire his big, biggest recruiter, and now he's he's sitting on the rival side now, and it's just it's just amazing. Like I'm I'm at a loss for words sometimes with this recruiting staff and what they do and their choices, and like you said with with Terry and Arnold that situation. You took a risk. I mean, that that's that's a risk reward. So instead of, you know, offering Terry and Arnold, you say, no, we're not going to offer him. We're not going to send him a letter of intent. You you go after Eric Gilbert. And I mean, don't get me wrong. That's a generational player. You want to have him on your side. But if you're not sure whether you can get him on campus or not, and you can probably get the other kid on campus, you might want to go with the guy that's the five-star athlete that you can get on campus and not the one that you may be able to get on campus. And both are, I mean, both are at positions in need. I mean, safety hasn't been the same since Chelsea Gardner-Johnson had left. But now, you know, tight end, you're okay right now at tight end. You're not great, but you're okay at it. Uh, I just don't understand, Brian. Uh, the, the, the decisions that the staff makes, and uh, I don't know, maybe they need to take another vacation. 
Well, isn't that what happened when uh, last time Sam McCall decommitted? Wasn't the staff on vacation when he decommitted? Uh, I know it was right around that time frame. Yeah, Sam McCall, just uh, for a little bit of background, he's the number 35 player in the country, according to the 24-7 composite. He's the number six player from the state of Florida, and he's a five-star. He's listed as an athlete, but he's going to be a defensive back. Torian Gray was a guy that I think he saw as sort of that mentor, sort of that brother, and – um you know, it was somebody that that he wanted to play for, and look as far as the the wrong, we we fired the wrong guy. I don't think you had to fire somebody in order to keep a guy like Sam McCall. If you're that buddy buddy with Todd Grantham and you're not willing to make that change, and I'm not necessarily advocating that that change was needed, but maybe. All right, let's keep Torian Gray. I know the DBs sucked last year, but the DBs have been the strength of this defense for a long time. Maybe it's not Torian, or maybe it's the year. And if you've got that kind of relation to where you're landing a five-star guy that early in the cycle, he recruited, he committed on October 28th. Maybe you hold on, even for that relationship. And I, I know that's not a, a good precedent to set where it's about the relationships, but in college football, especially on a staff that does not recruit well, maybe that relationship was worth it. To see him go to FSU, that's alarming in my opinion. Will he stay with FSU? I don't know. I, I doubt it, but who's to say? My my biggest problem with the uh, – with the situation as a whole is that Florida has failed to capitalize when Miami and Florida state were terrible for that, that stretch there in the recruiting game, whether you, you attribute that to some of the guys that McElwain was able to pull or where, whether you blame Mullen and his laissez faire type of mentality towards recruiting, it's going to come back and bite them tenfold. Miami's probably already leaped Florida as the best recruiting of the power three schools. And, and FSU is obviously right on that doorstep with Mike Norvell now. Yeah, definitely don't have Willie Taggart over there anymore. So uh, you get a new head coach into anywhere uh, and he can turn around recruiting just like that. We, we've seen it with uh, lots of terror. Look at Clemson. Clemson, I mean, before Dabo Sweeney got there, Clemson was, they were an okay ACC team. And now, you know, you insert a new head coach. And now you're competing on a national championship level every year. And, um, you know, that that's scary to see right now. It's scary to see that your rivals, especially Florida State, that's been down for two to three years. Uh, Willie Taggart completely came in and destroyed that program from the inside out, kind of like with what McElwain did with us. And, um, you know, they've recovered from it. But, uh, I mean, we've recovered it too. Uh, like, we've recovered from the Jim McElwain and peanut butter and jelly days. But to see that now the rivals that – have not been winning on a consistent basis or out recruiting you right now. That's a big sign of it's time to get a little bit scared. <laughs> Florida fan in the recruiting world. Now I know that this recruiting cycle has not, it, it just started. So anything could happen. Re- if, if, as, as we've seen through the years, anything can happen in recruiting and uh, anything can happen in Florida Gator nation. Uh, never a dull moment. Right. But I just, as me personally, as a Florida fan, I'm not too worried yet. But it is worrisome to see that the rivals are starting to capitalize on your mistakes, and that could come back and bite you in the end. And, uh, Jake, what's your take on it, man? I think it's the I think it's the same that everybody else has. I think it, it needs to get better. If I think it's the same thing everybody talked about with Jim McElwain. It needs to get 
better if you want to compete with these other schools. You cannot keep, you know, muddling around and pulling things, you know, out at the last minute, hoping to be a contender. I just don't think that it works that way. Right. You but know? now we're, we're five years in. Yep. I mean, why? What? what is there to say that anything is going to change with this staff right now? Dan Mullen appears to be setting his way to a, an absurdly stubborn level. Brian's coming out with his hair on fire today. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, I'm a little more optimistic, I guess. Um, I always hope for that top five recruiting class every year. We never get it. <laughs> so... Um, I don't know. I, I'm at a loss for words, man. Uh, I mean, obviously it opens up another scholarship for somebody in the transfer portal if Dan wants to go there. But there, if you look at the transfer portal now, there's not that many names in the transfer portal except for maybe a couple of names at Tennessee that, you know, the, I think it's that Toto kid or whatever his name is, some linebacker. Yeah, there, there's, there, there's not a whole lot of names that you expect to make an immediate impact at this point. Right, and uh, you may just have to save, save that scholarship for this recruiting cycle. I don't know, um, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, I, I assume that they might just save the scholarship. Who knows? They've always pulled cats out of their hats before and surprised me with something. So, yeah, man, uh, Eric Gilbert decommits from the University of Florida. We'll see where he winds up uh, at the end of it all. And, uh, you know, Sam McCall uh, commits to your rivals. That's just not a good look. And, uh, you know, I... Before we get into the state of recruiting, I, I, I did a, a thing and uh, the recruiting in the state of Florida from 2010 to 2020. And, and just in fairness, I did this year so far, or yeah, the 2021 class as well. I added it towards the end, but um, I, I, I took the teams, uh, took the teams in state, Florida, Miami, or Florida State and Miami, and I averaged them out. But I also took some rivals that are, you know, usually in that one to five range, like Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, teams that are. Usually in the playoff, I know Georgia only been to the playoff one time, but I added them in there because they are a rival, and uh, we do compete with them on a scheduled basis. I did not do LSU. I should have put LSU in here, but I did not get to LSU. But right now, between 2010 and 2020, I took the top 20 players in the state of Florida and where they have landed for the past 10 years and averaged them out. So as far as it goes, Florida actually isn't, too bad on this list. They're probably right down the middle, but a surprising a surprising school is going to come up here and bite you. But uh, Florida, from in 2010, they had eight of the top 20 players, and that's counting Urban Meyer. But from 2010 all the way down to 2020, you got three, four, four, one, three, two, three, three, four, three. So you're not even hitting into that you know, one quarter range in the top 20 players in the state of Florida. So they average at about 3.45 for those last 10 years. And you want to try to get into that five range. You want to at least try to get, if you're in the state of Florida, you want to try to get at least five players from your, from your state. That's how I look at it. And uh, I, I did it against uh, Alabama. Alabama averaged two players from, from two. It, it, that surprises me because 2010 to 2020, Alabama has been out recruiting Florida for a long time. And, they average only two players from the state of Florida. Georgia averages only 1.18 from the past 10 years. Miami, 2.3. So, you know, Miami's not too well either. But now, this is the surprising stat. Florida State averages 4.18 players from the state of Florida every single year. Florida State, and a program that's been down. I know the past three years, they, only, they didn't even get one player in 2008, or 2018. 
and they got two players in 2019 and one player in 2020. So right there, you know, Florida State's already down. So you got that. And now I have to add another player from the state of Florida on the 2021 for Florida State. So that makes two right now that they have from the state of Florida in the top 20. And uh, Clemson averaged 1.3. Ohio State averaged 1.09. So Florida actually, on a national level the past 10 years, has been right with Florida State. But Florida State has out-recruited Florida in the state of Florida, but not these past three years. Now, if you want to take the eight players that they got from 2010, and let's 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 just add the 2021 to that, and that would average out to 2.9 players. So if you take the eight away from 2010, and you add 2021, which would still be 10 years from 2011 to 2021, Florida's only averaging 2.9 players. That's not good. That's not good at all. And this year, Alabama... You know how many players that Alabama has gotten from the state of Florida in the 2021 class? Seven. Seven players from the state of Florida have went to the University of Alabama. That is, uh, I mean, on a national level, I, I guess I, I get that. But when you have players in your own state, then it's easy for them to travel, easier for them to see their family, their families to come see you play football. You, you should be able to easily recruit those kids to your school. And now I know you're going to have to compete with Miami and Florida State. But when they're down and they're not winning... That's when you need to capitalize. And like Miami, you know Miami's record has not been great for the past, what, three years, four years? The past four years, Miami, one player, three players, four players, four players. That's inexcusable when they're down like that. Um, You should be getting the in-state players from the state of Florida every year. And uh, you should at least be getting five to me. You know, we could have added Terry and Arnold to this list, but, you know, you went after Eric Gilbert. But uh, it's just the the state of recruiting in the state of Florida has to get better. Just everything that Florida does in the state of Florida has to get better when it comes to a recruiting level. But, uh, you know, even with Jim McElwain in the Jim McElwain days, he was getting three and four players from the state of Florida. And, Dave, it starts here at home. You know, this this Gator standard that we keep referring back to, it starts at home. It starts – you start by winning the home games. That's what Dan told us. You win the home games when you pack the swamp – win the home battles in the recruiting. All right, maybe you're not going to beat Alabama out. That's They've got pretty nice facilities. They've got the national championship. They've got Nick Saban. They've got a pipeline to the NFL. But to be in even the same level as Miami, as Florida State, that should be unacceptable. That should not be okay. And Dan has to hold the people. Who's recruiting South Florida? The next question to that is why? <laughs> because they're not doing their job. <laughs> I think it's Brewster. All right. Brewster was Broward, I think, last year, and then he's Miami Dade this year. Right. And and prior to this year, we were getting nothing from that tight end position. Um, a guy that I think that we really messed up uh, very at the very beginning of the Mullen tenure, a guy, Juwan Sider, goes all the way up to Penn State, starts recruiting running backs up there. Now they've got a stable of backs. We've got guys down here that are just straight missing uh, in Greg Knox. And, yeah, it's just – it's a little bit frustrating, the the lack of cohesion, I guess, amongst this recruiting staff and how we're completely in a, unable to land these top Florida prospects. It doesn't make sense. A lot of these kids were huge fans of Florida growing up and at the last minute chose to go elsewhere. That's unacceptable. That can't happen, and Dan Mullen cannot let it happen. 
Yeah, uh, it's just a hard thing to talk about, man. Uh, we're I, I know we're winging it right here. We're going live, and, and, and it's just a hard thing to talk about when it comes to recruiting, and especially what just happened now, the breaking news of you know uh, Sam McCall <laughs> committing to Florida State, and then Eric Gilbert. It was just like a double, it was a double whammy, man, to, to, to end your Sunday night on. I remember, uh, I remember Eric Gilbert did commit to Florida on a Sunday night too. So that's the the kind of, I don't know. It's just weird. It's like he decommits on a Sunday night and he commits, but yeah, man, uh, recruiting in the state of Florida has to get better. Um, there's, there's nothing to sugarcoat it. I know a lot of people will say recruiting is fine. We're, we're okay. Uh, recruiting not in the top 10, number 13. And now you said we, we were talking when you add in Eric Gilbert and Demarcus Bowman, it brings it to honestly to a number seven class, but now you got to take Eric Gilbert away now because you don't have him anymore. So now you're probably sitting in that nine to 10 range where you have been probably the past, what, two years around that nine and 10 range. But the biggest problem, and like you said, kids not making it into the university of Florida with grades or any kind of grade issues. And, and, and that's the problem is with the recruiting staff and Dan Mullen not doing their research and their homework on these kids that they're, they're, they're offering. Um, I mean, you, Obviously, they know what the GPA grade average is to get into, you know, the University of Florida. And I know that Dan Mullen likes to take his JUCO kids and he likes to take his transfers. And he, he likes to invest in kids. Uh, if he can offer a kid that's a top 50 player, say like a Dewan Black, and he may have to wait two years, he may have to go to the JUCO route, he'll do that. And um, I can't say that that's a bad strategy as long as you can hold on to that kid, because that kid may go to Juco and may change his mind in two years. So that's a big risk that you take there as well. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, it just if Will Muschamp can come in here and have no offense, have the greatest, most elite defenses and no offense, and still be able to recruit in the top three and top five, I think Dan Mullen should be able to, too. There's no excuse. You've won 10 games, uh, at least You've won double-digit games just about every year, except for this year. Uh, you kind of let it crash and burn and fall towards the end this year. But, you know, when you've won two New Year's Six Bowl games in a row, the recruiting should be a lot better than what it was with Jim McElwain. And, we're, and, and it is. It is. It's better than Jim McElwain, but it should be on a top-five level, at least. At least on a top-five level. So, yeah, um, I don't know, man. <laughs> like I said, I'm at a loss for words, Jake. Uh Let's. What are your thoughts on this? What are you like? What are you happy as a fan right now with the state of recruiting? Or are you kind of just in the middle? I, I don't know. I I'm, I've never been a person who's like gets up too high or gets too low in terms of recruiting. Um, just because like it's all so speculative. But I do think I do know that if you want to, you know. What do, what do we always say when the playoff comes around? Top five teams in the country, usually top five recruiters in the country. And Correct. that's what Florida needs. If that's what Florida needs to do, then they got to get it, you know? Well, that alludes to I what we were. Hard. I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say, you either need to start posting that five-star talent or you need to, like – set up a program to where if you're not getting these top guys, you're developing them in the top guys and you have to play really well and you have to hit on those guys. So I know that is like a really non answer, but those are your two options. Well, personally, I believe if you, if you offer say 10 kids that are in the top 20 in the state of Florida, 
I don't expect you to land all of those kids because that's it's virtually impossible to do that. Alabama can't even do that. So, but to get maybe two or three, that's a pretty good recruiting class. Uh, that's uh, the top kids in the state of Florida, especially the top one through five, are usually ranked in that top one hundred range or in the five star range. If you can land two to three of, the, if you can land at least three of those every cycle, if not four, you're doing a great job. And if you can land five, then you're doing a really good job. But you've got to at least get three to four of those in your recruiting class every year. And especially with, with depth, the way that it is and some of these spots and some of these positions on our team, you really need to concentrate on that. And I know, I know safety is something they've worked on and they did really good in the safety department recruiting in this recruiting class, but you still could have got Terry and Arnold and that would have helped even more. But it, it, we, we alluded to it, you know, you just said the top five teams are always the top five that are always in the playoff every year when they recruit. And th- this is a, this is a big thing that jumped out to me too. So, you know, LSU, they're usually in the top five just about every year when they recruit. They're in that top five range every single year. And we go into the swamp. They have, what, 60 scholarship players? We have our full team there. Our quarterback, Kyle Trask. Everybody's playing except for Kyle Pitts. We go in there. They beat us by three points. You know why? Because they had depth, and they had good recruiting depth, and they recruited at top five level every year. So they were still able to compete with our team. Now, granted, we still should have beat them. And our defense was terrible last year. Don't get me wrong. But we still should have beat them going into the swamp. But then you switch the situation around, right? We go into a New Year's Six Bowl game with Oklahoma. Oklahoma recruits in the top five just about every year as well. They're either six, five, four. I've seen them at four sometimes. So you go into the New Year's Six Bowl game, and the same situation happens for you. A lot of your players opt out to go to the NFL. Some of them, one of them had COVID, Jacob Copeland. I think a few of, I think a few others did too. So you're sitting at, I think Dan Mullen said 56 or 57 scholarship players or something like that. And I think you have to have at least 60 or something, but they elected to play it anyway. Oklahoma just steamrolls you the whole game. Uh, Kyle Trask, there's three interceptions. Um, can't really put it on Kyle Trask with the inexperience at the wide receiver spot considering, you know, these were all pretty much backup and walk-on wide receivers, but you know that goes to show you the depth that uh, the depth makes a difference. LSU had no problem with having sixty scholarship players going into the swamp and beating you by three points. You do the same thing against Oklahoma in a New Year's Six bowl game, and they completely crush you. And that's the difference between recruiting in the top five every year and not recruiting in the top five every year is because it 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 it's depth. Depth you want good elite depth on your team. And it shows. It shows when you don't recruit and when you got a player out. Say say a player gets injured. What if one of our tight ends, what if Keon Zipper gets injured this year or Kamori Gamble? That leaves you very thin at tight end right now. So if, if, if that person gets injured, you're relying on that one tight end to stay healthy the whole rest of the year if he's hurt. So now, you know, you you Eric Gilbert, you missed on because of grades and everything, but you did offer that. You took a chance. You scratched a lottery ticket. You lost. You spent $100 on a whole roll of lottery tickets and lost on every one of them. So you lost Eric Gilbert. Now it puts you at a spot now to where you're kind of a little thin, and now you have to get Jaleel Skinner or, or somebody else in, in the next recruiting class. And I think that's that, that goes to a testament to show you how much depth actually does matter when you recruit at a top five level because when Urban Meyer – he had a player injured. There's another five star coming in there to take his spot, or another top 100 player, and uh, that that was the difference between recruiting and recruiting depth. And if, if Brian, you want to elaborate a little bit on that? I mean, don't you think I'm right a little bit? 
Well, absolutely. I think uh, if I have to hear Dan Mullen tell me one more time that the Florida logo sells, I mean, I'm going to throw up. It's obvious that the Florida logo doesn't sell and neither does Dan Mullen to these kids. Um, Something's got to change. Something's got to change rather quick. Or you could see a serious downward trend as Miami and Florida State continue to rise. And it's something that I think that I wouldn't put it the forefront of my mind, but I think it's something that, you know, every Gator fan has to be conscious and, and every everybody in that UF administration has to be conscious of, hey, we can become number three in this state very easily uh, the way that these other schools are recruiting. And if Dan Mullen doesn't start to do something, Scott Strickland may have to go up and say, hey, you have to do this. We're making you do this. Um, and, and then kind of go from there. Obviously Mullins at a deficit because he's been flirting with the NFL the last few off seasons. He has expressed his interest. He didn't even completely discount the thought when he was finally addressed about it by the media to open spring practice. So you're already at a deficit. You already don't like recruiting. Something's got to give, something's got to change and it's got to change rather quickly. What about you, Jake? I mean, I think the only you talk about the only thing that can that you know the logo sells itself. I think that's only like a a case in like I agree with you, Brian. But I think that's only a case of like Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State. I think those are the only logos that really right. Sell. And I I agree completely. But that's what Mullen has led us to believe. That is what he has said. That's what he's selling to the fan base. And we're bought. We've bought in. We're selling the place out. It's packed. It's loud. You're seeing the 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 electricity of the swamp. But you're not getting that from the head coach, and you're not getting that that reassurance that, yeah, this logo sells. We just have to bring somebody in here and we can get whoever we want. It's not the case. Dan Mullen has got to learn how or to be a salesman or to get the right people in to be that salesman. And you know, what's funny. I think the it's, I think this is just me. It's probably for a lot of other people, but you know, when you do all the little, the, the cutesy stuff, the, you know, the playing with the spring game, attendance and taking shots at like other schools or something like that, you know, that stuff really gets kind of tired if you're not succeeding the way people want you to. And I wonder what is going to happen now if the trend continues. Yeah. And you know that last year, the last year's recruiting class, the Miami Palmetto uh, school was, was the big, battle that we had between Miami and Florida and Miami got or Florida got the best of that battle. Um, I, I know Miami was able to grab up one of those guys, but uh, you know, Jason Marshall and Corey Collier were big key in this class to even it, get the class ranked to where it is right now. If you take away, say if you go into the Miami Palmetto school and you were, and you lost that battle to Miami because a lot, a lot of people had Jason Marshall trending for Alabama and Miami and uh, Steve Wiltfong actually thought he was going to go to Alabama, so it actually kind of shocked him, too. Steve Wiltfong's like the crystal ball master over there at 24-7 Sports. And uh, Jason Marshall chose Florida instead of Alabama and instead of Miami. But just think, though, if you had lost that battle to Miami or even Alabama, your class is sitting at, like, number 16 right now. And that's just, that's just losing one recruiting battle at one school. And yeah, but if that if that happens, Terry and Arnold has an NLI in February. Just saying that is true, and and I think 
they, I think they may could have landed Terry and Arnold because I think Terry and Arnold did want to come to University of Florida. But uh, everything we heard, everything we heard before that early signing period was that he was a strong Gator lean, and then after the initial signing day, Florida backed off. Didn't even send him an NLI. Had told him that they weren't pursuing him; that they were going to the transfer route. Uh, which, when they landed Eric Gilbert, hey, that's great. This guy's got four years of eligibility left. He'll only be on campus for two, but this is a guy who's coming in with all of his eligibility. We'll take it. But because somebody didn't do their homework, because somebody didn't do their job that they're getting paid a lot of money for. Let's let's be honest. Uh, here we are tonight talking about. You know, what if, essentially. Everything always turns into what if, especially in recruiting around here, doesn't it? <laughs> but, I mean, I don't blame the staff for going after Eric Gilbert. And uh, a trans, you know, just one of those kind of athletes. It's a once-in-a-lifetime athlete in, in recruiting rankings. And uh, who knows? Uh, I mean, he, he caught for 300 yards at LSU just his first year. With with a bunch of it was a bunch of backups and a you know I mean that's pretty good for what LSU had last year what they had to deal with and combat I mean that's pretty good statistics to to, to put up your first year but uh, you know I, I don't blame the staff for going after Eric Gilbert but it, and we're not saying that like Florida's not trying to get these kids they're offering these kids they're just not they're either not doing their homework. Or they're letting the other school steal their lunch money from them. And um, that's just got to stop, man. Uh, Florida's getting bullied. Uh, I mean, I, <laughs> I hate to sit here and just poke the yeah, bear, man. Both, both of those statements can be very true in this case. <laughs> I, I, and I don't want to harp on it too much longer, man. I, I don't want it to be a whole podcast about us uh, complaining about the state of recruiting. I think we all got our demons out this episode. And uh, me personally, overall, I just, you know, it's got to get better. Uh, I, I'm, I'm Mr. Optimistic. I think it will. I think, you know, it's still early in this recruiting cycle. Anything could happen. Sam McCall could decommit and go to 20 other schools and then come back to Florida. Who knows? Uh, or something else could happen. I, I, but I'm not going to be, a, I'm not going to let it get me too down, I guess. And uh, we'll just, get, we're just going to have to see what happens in recruiting. And then, uh, you know, and these practices too. Uh, I'm excited for DeMarcus Bowman. I mean, that's, that's a five star that you didn't have that went to Clemson originally. And now you stole him back from Clemson. So that's that's a good move. That's a good chess move from Dan Mullen, I guess. It, uh, we're just going to have to see what happens this year and how the year shakes out for the University of Florida and in football and see if maybe they can pull some elite kids from the state of Florida this time. Because, man, I'll tell you what, man. <laughs> when Alabama's getting more than a quarter of the kids from the state of Florida, there's a, that's a big issue. And I, I know it's the University of Alabama. I, I We obviously know what they've done the past 10 years. But – Still, when it's so easy for kids to have their parents come to watch them play football games in the state of Florida and not be that far away from home, it's much easier to recruit them to your school than it is to another school. And I know Alabama, they're going to steal some kids because they're Alabama. I know that. You're not going to hit on every kid in the state of Florida. And I'm not saying that Florida has to. I'm just saying Florida has to hit on more kids into the state of Florida. That's all I'm trying to say. And that's all I got to say about that. Uh, I don't think we want to elaborate too much more on that. I think we uh, complained for about a good 20 to 25 minutes. So everybody should love this podcast when they, when it comes out. Uh, Brian, do you, 40, Dave? Huh? Yeah, almost 40. Almost 40 minutes. Yes. So, uh, Brian, you want to uh, go ahead and uh, comment on other sports before we lose our minds? Jake's had enough. He's like, I'm checking out. <laughs> Jake probably fell asleep, man. 
Um, it was a really, really, really successful week for other sports uh, in and around UF. Uh, Florida baseball uh, coming off of that one and two weekend series against Miami uh, swept Sanford and now sit at six and two overall. Uh, the pitching, the hitting, it all seems to be coming together. There's still some work to be done no, in that bullpen. No, 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 no. no I gotta, no. I gotta catch you out there. That bullpen is atrocious. I was it's... getting there. You didn't let me finish. <laughs> okay, all right. I'll let there's, you go. There's definitely issues in the bullpen. However, uh, as Sully said, they were a little bit shorthanded on Sunday um, due to just some rest, some some injury issues, uh, but nothing serious. Uh, Jake, would you like to elaborate before I move on? <laughs> I, I, I just think you cannot have these expectations as a baseball team and have guys, so many guys struggle with location, I think. Because, you know, the guy, uh, Franco Alamon, a dude some people were saying would be possibly co-closing with Ben Specht. You know, he comes in in a 6-3 ball game and walks two guys and struggles with location. He threw nine strikes and 22 pitches. I don't know if he's being overworked. I don't know if if it's something mentally. I don't know if he's getting squeezed. You know, I, and when you get squeezed, you still should be able to hit spots. And then what happens? And then watching Brandon Sprout, unbelievable talent. I think a lot of people are high on him. You know, I think a lot of people are excited when he when he came to UF, and he throws gas. But I mean, he's he's pretty wild too. And what does he do? He hangs a ball, and he ends up getting driven out of the park on that third game. You know, even though he already won the series, you know, to tie the game up, and you got to walk it off. And you can't keep relying on your offense to give you double-digit hits every game. Yeah, like you said with Alamon, I think that's uh, – I mean, I think it's got to be a mental thing. Uh, he was a guy – we got the chance to watch him in both fall and spring practice, and I don't know that he didn't land in the strike zone on any of his pitches. Now, all of a sudden, uh, with the lights on and when in front of live pitching and in a crowd – He's struggling to hit his zone. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of uh, something that Sully's going to have to figure out. He acknowledged that. Um, Brandon Sprout, I mean, the guy's got all the tools to be an ace. The guy can throw gas. He's touched 100 miles an hour. Um, but when you throw it that fast, when a hitter connects, it connects. And I think that's what we saw uh, last night, just yesterday, actually, on Sunday. Uh, that that ball was driven. There was no doubt about it. It tied the game. And, and you know, fortunately, Florida rallied, and, and Jacob Young had that walk-off hit. But, yeah, there's, there's definitely concerns there. But there are concerns that I think – you're going to see over the course of the next few weeks before they get into SEC play start to wear, you know, right now they're working with a bullpen that literally has 17 arms in it. That's, that's unprecedented. And these are 17 arms that can all throw. I think once you see them get into SEC play, they're going to condense it down and you're going to see the usual six to seven guys, you know, over the course of a weekend. Um, and, and and I think that's good. I think that's the only way you're going to keep guys in this post COVID era where, you know, these rosters are huge with these star studded, uh, you know, loaded rosters. And, uh, and I think that's good. Um, let's see, let's get into a little bit of softball too. Softball is 12 and 0 on the year. Jake, have you been able to watch any of their games? Ooh, 12 and 0. Unfortunately, no, but I've been keeping up with them and, you know, I think, they're kind of looks like they're picking up where they left off last season. You know, uh, Charlotte Eccles is 
almost halfway to her RBI total that she had before the season stopped last year. And talking about Katie Cronister, I remember when Katie Cronister was the last pitcher to go in. It would be like some and, and she was Jake, a last wait, resort. Do you remember how you and I would react when Katie Cross was going in the game? Like, wait, what? Why? <laughs> and I, I don't know. And I don't want to. I don't want to speak ill of Katie Crosser because you have to be have done something right as an athlete to get to a place like the University of Florida. Right. But when we covered it, you know, she wasn't the. She was not a main option for Tim Walton, and now she's got over twenty innings. She had a whip under. Point five, and she hasn't given up a run yet. Yeah, she I has mean, that's been crazy. She's been phenomenal, and she was the SEC pitcher of the week. I, I mean, what she has done has been nothing short of of impeccable. I did not expect that coming into the year. I think everybody thought that Riley Trilicek and Natalie Lugo were going to be the workhorses. In fact, we've seen a lot of. Elizabeth Hightower and Katie Cronister. And I, I don't think anybody really saw that coming, but it's a dynamic that is working. The offense at times has had its little sputters, uh, needing a uh, walk-off hit on Saturday to win. Uh, but with the way that their pitching has been and from everybody, everybody has contributed to it. I mean, this team looks really good right now. Yeah. I mean, it's – I don't want to. Uh, it's I you know, and I think the expectation every year with Florida softball, just like Florida baseball, is you know Oklahoma City get to Oklahoma City, and I think this is a squad with them having so many people and so many people came back. It's hard to think that they won't make it, but it's only it's it's early in the season. It's only twelve games in, just like um, you know, it's only twelve games in, just like. Baseball's only, you know, eight or nine in, so it could change in a heartbeat. But right now it's looking really good. Hey, uh, I, I'm sure you guys probably saw, uh, David, you might have. Uh, Trey Mann was named the SEC Player of the Year of the Week, excuse me, for um, men's basketball after their win over Kentucky. Jake, uh, take us through that just a little bit. By the yeah, way. what a big win. What a big win for Kentucky, uh, for, for Kentucky, for the Florida Gators. Go interrupt. It's always, you know, even the COVID era, even with Kentucky being just not to the standard they are, it's always great to come in and get a win in Rupp Arena, regardless of what the situation is. And, you know, they, they really battled. It was a really close game. Kentucky clearly had so many, like, not a lot of advantage, but, had some advantages that clearly were giving Florida trouble scoring, mostly in the dribble drive game. You know, they're so talented, so athletic, really active hands. And, you know, to be able to gut out a win like that with the foul trouble you were in, the free throw disparity. I mean, I was talking to my friend when we were watching it. I said, Florida is beating Kentucky in every facet of the game stats-wise, or they're even. You know, they were out shooting them from three and from the field. The only place they were not they were being beat was turnovers by like one or two and a double digit disparity in free throws. So being able to win when another team got fifteen extra points at the line is crazy. Yeah, Kentucky had that home cooking, and and it still didn't work. Um, one thing that was really impressive to me uh, with that game, look, you've you've heard the Mike White hate. Dave spewed some, uh, <laughs> um, a little bit, but, but Mike white switched 
to a zone defense and it changed the game on its head and uh, it was the perfect time to call it and it got Florida back in the game. It got him a lead and, uh, you know, that's all she wrote. But, yeah, I, I mean, I thought the coaching was good. I thought the play was obviously good. To go to Lexington, I don't care if Kentucky's having a down year. Um, that's how that story's going to read. The problem is what's, what's going to be missing in that subtext there is the fact that Kentucky was surging. They were on a three-game win streak, uh, and they were playing for their tournament lives, and that's going to get blown over in a, in a lot of cases. Uh, but it was a really good win for that Florida team. Um, I do want to hit on gymnastics. Gymnastics won the uh, SEC championship uh, by beating Auburn for the second time this year. Uh, Trinity Thomas, the all-everything uh, gymnast at UF, had two perfect rotations. Uh, rather incredible uh, numbers for her. She's just, uh, she's a machine. She just goes out there, does it. And, and I mean, it looks the same to me every time, but it's, it's just something to behold. And uh, if you haven't had a chance to get down to the O'Connell center to watch this, you need to, this might be the best team on campus right now. <laughs> um, also another sec champion, the, uh, the swimming and diving team uh, won an sec title this week. Um, that was pretty phenomenal. I, I don't know a whole lot about swimming and diving. Um, if you watched me swim and dive, you'd understand. Um, you put it to put it in the context. I'm pre. It was the 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 Gainesville Sun reported it as their ninth consecutive title. Right. Um, UF volleyball was back in action after a slight delay uh, because of COVID and whatnot. They swept two at Tennessee, and they've got Missouri on tap this week. Um, and then women's basketball is in the SEC tournament in Greenville, South Carolina. They're going to take on Auburn at 4 p.m. on the SEC network on Wednesday. Um, I think that about wraps it up. Uh, Jake, you got anything to add about any of the other sports? Um, I think – this gymnastics team is probably the best it's been in a long time, and that's really saying something. I think uh, I think for I think it's weird when you win three straight national titles. I think that starts to become like the really big expectation, and you know this this team's looking to be like it could get itself another national championship. So also, obviously, oh, I want to say also with Florida basketball, you know. Mike's not on the fire yet because we've seen when he gets a big win, usually some kind of disappointment happens. They have to play Missouri and Tennessee no, Jake, to finish out no, the year. No, Jake, I won't take that. <laughs> <laughs> Mike is gold. He's fine. Just leave it be. Let him go. Let's do a retake. I'm just All saying, right. if he if he comes out and he loses to Missouri, you know, in a few days, it's he's not. It's just gonna the, the narrative's gonna switch back. It's gonna happen. It's okay. We've we've still got some season left to go. Um, getting back real quick to you to what you were saying about gymnastics last year, getting to go obviously to the pressers after the meet and getting to be there on the floor with them. You could see that there was a determination. Uh, for those that don't remember or don't know, in 2019, Florida. Got was one of the top seeds in the nation. They went out to, I don't know, Portland maybe. I'm sure that's not right. Uh, I feel like Oregon State for some reason, but they went out to Oregon State. We're going to use that for now. Um, and and they were expected to advance to the, the Elite Eight or whatever you want to call it in, in gymnastics, the eight on the floor or whatever. Um, 
and they were actually upset. They, they didn't make it. It was like their first time in like 25 years that they hadn't advanced past that. Um, and I know those numbers are wrong and I know any gymnast fans are going to have, have me for that. But, um, but anyway, that team was determined and you could see it and you could see the fire that they had out there and you could see that for Jenny, the head coach, it was just it was easy for her. She just got to watch these athletes do their own thing because they're so motivated and it was something uh, unbelievable to see their season stop last year. It happened literally two days before their, their senior night. Um, and then the way that they've bounced back this year, it's, it's an incredible story and uh, something that if you're a big fan of Florida gymnastics and you're not following uh, Caroline Freeman on our gymnastics coverage, you're really missing out because she puts out good stuff. And there's some words that I don't understand, <laughs> um, but you know, it, it, you get a good feel. She does a really good job of relating it to people, even if you don't have that advanced knowledge of the gym, of the sport of gymnastics. Yeah, which so I Dave, don't. So yeah, Dave. <laughs> now that you've gotten to hear all this, well, what's your take on our athletic department as a whole? As a whole, I will say the University of Florida does overall in all sports. They they are pretty like they're elite at a lot of. A lot, they're they're good at a lot of sports. Uh, basketball, uh, they recruit well in basketball. Uh, I, I think they should be a lot better than what they are now, but that's just my opinion. But they recruit well in basketball. They do very well in baseball. Women's softball, they do very well. Gymnastics, they obviously do very well. And I think Florida is starting to become that school that overall, amongst all sports, they're usually on a national championship level, you know, uh, all the time. Uh Obviously, football is, is it's getting there. We're not there yet, but it's getting there. Uh, let's hope it, it, it gets better. But on a national championship basis in all sports, I think Florida is the most consistent when it comes to that as a university. So it's cool to see that we have other sports that, that these kids have played in, and they're on a national championship level. We get the best talent uh, you know, around the world, and uh, that's, that's what you get when you come to the University of Florida. You get all the good talent. And, uh, you know, I, it's just great to see that these kids, even with the GPA standards, how high that they are, we're still able to pull in talent and we're still able to pull in good, smart kids that, that don't get into trouble. And so, you know, that, that goes just to a testament to the athletic department and Scott Strickland and what they do here at the University of Florida. And uh, people, we've had people on our show like Lee Davis and uh, uh, we haven't had Scott Strickland on yet. Hopefully we can have him on at one point. But uh, yeah, it just goes to show you. Uh, I mean, how hard they work and how hard they how hard they do their due diligence. And we can't just blame them from one sport. If if the recruiting is bad in one sport, we can't just say, "Oh, this this administration sucks." And I know a lot of people have kind of said that a little bit. I, I've heard it on Twitter, or Facebook, and stuff about the administration. But the administration does a great job. They really do. And you can't blame them because one sport's just not going your way. So uh, overall, though, yeah, Florida. Definitely, uh, just all around, just when it comes to sports, uh, just fantastic, man. I, I, I can't, I can't sit here and complain just because one, one of the sports that I love the most, we're not doing that well in recruiting, but yeah, that's my thoughts. That's my takes. I, I know I'm not the expert when it comes to those sports. I know you guys keep up more with it than I do, and and here at Chomp Talk, we cover all sports. We have great journalists, great staff writers, people like Jake, people like Brian. People like Caroline, um, uh, just a number of people 
in this staff that, that cover all sports. So if you ever want to find out about any sport, uh, Florida Gator related, come to choptalk.com. And um, uh, you guys were talking about other sports, and <laughs> I got sidetracked looking at a meme, but I was actually looking for an article that Mike Farrell had wrote on Rivals.com, and it was about Emory Jones. And uh, basically talking about, will Emory Jones be... I don't know. I, I factor. It says factor fiction. U.S. Emory Jones will be the breakout quarterback in the SEC next season. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts because there's a lot of stuff going around that I see. I do see on Twitter that a lot of people right now are saying, "Oh, Anthony Richardson's better than Emory Jones." Emory Jones is, is, is you know, some of them are saying Emory Jones is better than Anthony Richardson, and I and I see that a lot. And you're going to get that anyway between fans in the fan base. Uh, I just, to me, in my opinion. I can't say one's better than the other because we saw such a small sample size. And just because Emory Jones was thrown in there to the Wolves in the Oklahoma game, and uh, he actually did not too terrible for what he had. But everybody's saying now, oh, well, Anthony Richardson's good because he had that one heave to for a touchdown. And that's, that's just not how it goes. I, I don't understand why people think Anthony Richardson's going to be a better quarterback than Emory Jones. I think they're both going to be good quarterbacks anyway. Um, uh, we're just going to have to see next year. I just want to get your takes, Brian and Jake, on what you think about Emory Jones and what his ceiling is and, and, and what you think uh, maybe he could work on. I mean, one of, the, uh, one of the things to take into account here is what the offense is going to look like next year, how vastly different we think it's going to be. And uh, one thing I was doing when I was going through the offensive line, like we had originally planned for this episode, um, was how different I think even the pass blocking, the run blocking schemes are going to be because it's going to be such a different scheme. Um, You know, I, I think it's hard to evaluate based on what we've seen. We've seen such small sample sizes. We've also seen teams that had to worry about both aspects of Emory Jones, when teams are able to, when defenses are able to key in on him as a runner, is he still going to be able to gain seven, eight yards of carry? Uh, there, there's a lot to be seen there. I think, I think he's a good quarterback. I think, um, you know, I, I think he's waited his turn and I think he throws a nice ball. Um, can he be accurate in those, you know, 10 to 15 yard range passes I think that's what we're going to learn the most from Emory. That's what we haven't seen a whole lot of. And I think that's where he has to be accurate in order for this offense to be successful. What about you, Jake? I think uh, I I am personally really excited about Emory Jones. I'm not going to say he's the Messiah or he's, you know, going to change. He's going to be, a transcendent quarterback, but I am really excited to see him because he brings the Dan Mullen offense back to what I think fans are used to seeing. Now Dan always talks about how he adapts his schemes to what his players can do and all that stuff. And he puts a lot of onus on the quarterback to do well. But I think just having Emory with the running element is going to open up so many things you know, there's some offensive linemen out there who are so much more adept at run blocking than pass blocking. And, you know, Brian speaks on the accuracy. I would say that, you know, he only needs to be 
minimally accurate because I think Tim Tebow was minimally accurate yep. because he added that extra dimension. No, 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 Jake. Hit. Eric Gilbert didn't come. We need to hit our receivers in the chest him, now. <laughs> got him right there. I don't know. I think. I think also there's just a lot of young guys uh, that I want to see play, like Jaquavion Frazier's, like Jamarcus Weston. You know, I I think those guys have been waiting around, and you know, Dan Mullen's been talking about Jamarcus Weston since he got on campus, and right. I'm tired of hearing about hearing about him. I want to see him play football. Same yeah. with Emory Jones. I want to see him play when it's his job and it's nobody else's. Yeah, and a lot of things change, man. Uh, this is going to be first the Emory Jones' first, you know, attempts at, at first string quarterback. So he's going to have he's going to be playing with all the best players now that they have right now on campus. So it, it's different when you stick a quarterback in a different situation with receivers that he hasn't played with. We saw it with Kyle Trask at the Oklahoma game. He threw three interceptions on the first three drives. <laughs> so, I mean, a quarterback is only as good as his weapons as well. So it will be interesting to see with what happens now that Emory, you know, Emory Jones, is, I'm assuming, is taking first-string snaps in practice. And uh, I, I wouldn't think that he would be. He's been on the uh, you know, campus for about three years. So he should be, <laughs> be well well you know, addressed with all the other people there at, at the first string position. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I I think I, if you look at Emory Jones high school film, I mean, it's pretty good. I mean, it is high school. I understand it's not college, but Emory Jones brings that, that extra dimension, that extra dual threat, that uh, stronger arm. He has stronger arm than Kyle Trask, brings more of legs of, than Kyle Trask, but uh, hopefully he can bring the accuracy and the uh, decision-making to go with it because Kyle Trask was uh, lighting people up last year. So, uh, But anyway, I just wanted to get y'all's takes real quick on that. I know Mike Farrell had released an article over there at Rivals.com, and all the staff over there at Gators Territory do a great job of keeping us informed every single week over there as well. Brian, Jake, before I close out this episode, do you guys have any final thoughts? I've got one got just... Just, just because uh, we, we addressed the uh, other sports and all that, um, obviously we didn't talk soccer, um, but you, you spoke about Scott Strickland and, and the job that he's done uh, with the administration, um, and, and Scott's done a fantastic job since he's taken over UF. We've got a beautiful brand-new ballpark, uh, but one of his uh, – one of the most defining moments, I think, of his career – uh, as far as it comes, as, as it comes with the you know other sports, so to speak, uh, he's going to have to go out and hire a brand new head coach for the UF soccer program. This is something that has never happened. Uh, Becky Burley has been the only head coach in the 26 years of the program, and uh, not only time. that, but. That's a very long time. There's a lot of wins there in the national championship banner over at the stadium. Um, but that's uh, it's a pretty incredible number. Uh, but, you know, more than what she is as a coach, she's, she's an even better person. Uh, obviously, we've had the chance to talk to her a number of times after games and whatnot, and she's always just been uh, really, really easy to talk to, even when things weren't necessarily going their way. Um, I know it's something I appreciate, but I know it's going to be it's going to be tough for UF to replace her, um, and then to find a coach, you know, of the caliber of what Florida is hoping to maintain. It's not going to be an easy task for Scott Strickland out there. 
No, not at all. I, I'm pretty sure his job is really tough every year, especially at the University of Florida. And yeah, and finding a finding a soccer coach, man. Uh, you, you, as you alluded to, man, 26 years. Uh, <laughs> 26 years is a long time. That that means you've been doing a great. You've been doing a good job doing something. So yeah, it, it's it's going to be hard to find a replacement. And I don't think you can replace somebody like that. So uh, yeah, you're who's, gonna... who's the longest tenured coach at Florida now? It's got to be Mary Wise, right? I would think so. Oh yeah, it is Mary Wise. Yeah, that's <laughs> forgot. I forgot about Mary. Sorry, Jay. That was an easy one. Throw another one. <laughs> <I'm> just... <laughs> oh, I wasn't quizzing you. I was trying to see if it was Amanda O'Leary. Is <laughs> that that's what's crazy? Is you always thought you know, uh, you always thought Becky Burley's the soccer coach, Mary Wise coaches volleyball, and Amanda O'Leary's the lacrosse coach, and they've been there forever. Even though Amanda's only been here for what, like ten years. Yeah, I think 11 years now. <laughs> Who's the uh, shortest tenure coach? Do you know? Or does anybody, does it come to mind? Um, swimming and diving, I think, is brand new. Or like two years out, I think the old person retired. I'm, I'm almost Nesty. positive that's Nesty's the case. Gone, right? I believe so. So that's the shortest tenured head coach? Yeah. I, I was thinking maybe, you know, Jim McElwain with the death threats, man. You know, just make some death threats up and you'll get the, you know. Well, you know how to get fired based on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. I can just make up, say, hey, somebody uh, called in some death threats. I think I'm going to leave now. All right, Brian, Jake, uh, final thought. Jake, did you have any final thoughts? No, I had nothing. All right, folks, that'll do it for this episode of the Gridiron Growl podcast. I know we ran it about recruiting, and we apologize, but this episode we had to uh, release our demons a little bit so we could get it all out. So if you don't want to hear us rant and rave about recruiting and you want to hear about something else that's good news, you can fast forward like 40 minutes through the podcast, and uh, you know, you'll hear a lot more good news than you would bad news. But uh, uh, like I said, man, it, it's it's still early. We don't know what's going to happen in this recruiting cycle. Uh just had to get our demons out here, folks. Uh, we're just we're frustrated, just as every other Florida fan out there. That uh, the the current news and with the Sam McCall news and the Eric Gilbert news, and it's understandable. Uh, everybody has a right to be frustrated right now, but it doesn't mean that it can't get better. Uh, we've we've seen a lot of surprises from Dan Mullen um, on National Signing Day. Sometimes uh, I know National Signing Day is not a premier thing to watch, but uh, you know we had a little Chris Bogle surprise there a couple of years back. Uh, some, some transfer portal surprises. Um, we don't know what's going to happen with these scholarships, uh, you know, with the, with the free scholarship now that Eric Gilbert has, uh, decommitted. We don't know if he's where he's going or what he's doing and, and we'll see what happens with the extra scholarship if they save it or if they go elsewhere with it. But right now, as I said, there's not a lot of people in the transfer portal. So I wouldn't assume that they would go that way and probably keep the scholarship, but we will find out when it happens. And, um, you know, if you're in uh, Tennessee, man, uh, if, if, if you think you don't have cash to put in the McDonald's bags, just put some chicken McNuggets in the McDonald's bags and send them to Jake for us here on choptalk.com. But for uh, <laughs> for David Soderquist, Brian Fox Jr., and Jake Hitt, we are signing off from this episode of the Gridiron Growl Podcast. And you know what we say here every single week on the Gridiron Growl Podcast. In all kinds of weather, we don't just stick together, but we also keep it together. <laughs>